This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. Ian Gordon, who lives in the U.K., emailed us to ask if we know the Welsh word for children. I don't think I do. (laughs) I was so excited to learn it. I didn't either, but the Welsh word for children is plant, P-L-A-N-T. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) How cool is that? That's a coincidence, right? Yes, yes. That's a complete coincidence. The the word for child is something like plentyn, and the plural for children in Welsh is plant. And in the language world, we call those kinds of words false friends, the words that look like they mean something that they really don't. Right. They look like they're etymologically related across languages, but it's just Mm -hmm. an accident. Mm -hmm. Well, sometimes they're etymologically related, but they mean different things. Uh For example, the word fastidious in English means meticulous or really careful about detail, but it goes back to a Latin word fastidium, which means loathing or disgust. Mm -hmm. And that's reflected in the Spanish word fastidioso, which actually means annoying or irritating or tedious. And so if you see that word, you shouldn't assume that it's a positive uh, word. But other times the words are just arbitrary. The Italian word burro, for example, meaning butter, sounds like the Spanish word and looks like the Spanish word for donkey, right? But they're not related at all. They're not related at all. Yeah, and that's a common etymological mistake when people begin to first explore the how languages are connected, they find all these accidental, Mm -hmm. oh, wow, these words are spelled the same or they sound the same. Almost always it's just an accident. There's no real history there. They're just, just, just because human mouths make the same sounds and those sounds combinations are just likely to happen again and again. Right, right. So if you're learning German, you don't want to give someone a gift because (laughs) that word means poison in German. And weirdly enough, it means married in Norwegian. Right, just like kind and kind. Uh, mm-hmm. Your child might be kind, but, <laughs> but just it's just a coincidence exactly. that they're the same. Well, I'm going to share a couple more of those later in the show. And I bet uh, a lot of our listeners have had experiences learning other languages and maybe being tripped up by something similar. Absolutely. And we're looking for the uncommon ones, too. So let us know, 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org or talk to us on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. Hello, you have a way with words. Good morning, Martha. Good morning. Who is this and where are you? Uh, this is Stacy Young, and I am in Eureka, California. Well, welcome. What can we do for you, Stacy? Well, um, I don't believe that the word B-U-R-Y is a homonym with B-E-R-R-Y. Uh-huh. Really? Why not? Well, you know, that's funny because I thought it would be, have been that I was an Air Force brat and just grew up in different regions of the United States, and it turns out that my parents... Don't say the word the way I do either. (laughs) So now I don't know if I'm just a pretentious person that, you know, read it long before I heard it and just assumed it was pronounced Oh, that's probably it. Thanks for calling. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. All right. So you don't say B-U-R-Y to rhyme with B-E-R-R-Y. Correct. Where did you spend the most time? Um, Midwest. Well, I mean, now I've been in California for a very long time. but um, 20 years, 30 years? Growing up, I was in the Midwest. 
uh, Alabama for a year and then four years in Illinois. How long in mm-hmm. California? 20, 30 years? Yeah, we could say that now. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> let's just let's just zero in on this. Most people throughout the English-speaking world do say B-U-R-Y the same as they say B-R-R-Y. Barry, Barry and Barry. They say them identically, exactly yes. the same. However, there are a bunch of people, not many, that say B-U-R-Y differently. And there are two reasons that they might. The first reason is that it's a pronunciation spelling, which is probably what you're doing, which is they see that it's spelled differently. And so they say, yeah, that can't be right. Why would that sound like that other word? It doesn't look like the other word. You was never pronounced that way. I think I'm going to make it follow the more typical pronunciation of the U and pronounce this as Burry. That's going to be Burry. Like fury and jury. Yeah. This kind of follows some other rules. And that's logical. And we do that often throughout the language. However, the reason that some other people pronounce it differently is because they still retain an ancient pronunciation from a bazillion years ago when Middle English was weird and there were a bunch of dialects when the, and the pronunciation wasn't settled. Because what happened was the old word that meant to bury, to put something into the ground, someone or something into the ground, had one pronunciation, but it was borrowed into all these different dialects throughout what is now the United Kingdom in a lot of different ways and a lot of different spellings. What happened was one of those pronunciations stuck with us and one of those spellings stuck with us, but they don't match. So the pronunciation that matched the spelling didn't stick with us and the spelling that matched the pronunciation didn't stick with us. And that's where we are. Yeah. So it's just a weird quirk. And it's happened just a few times before. I think left is another one. L-E-F-T. It happens also just a few times where just through tradition, that one spelling stuck and that one pronunciation stuck. And there are two different traditions of English that just don't coincide well. It's very strange. And English is a weird little beastie. Yeah. Stacey, I'm interested that you say B-U-R-Y as Burry and your parents say it as Barry? Yeah, that was what was really the most fascinating out of this whole conversation. I was stunned to find out that they don't say it that way, because I proposed it to them as the way I proposed it to you, where I spelled it for them and said it's not a homonym, and they're like, really? (laughs) Well, I find that really interesting, because I will tell you that I grew up saying Barry, uh, B-U-R-Y being Barry, but I have a very, very close friend from Baltimore who says Burry and has mm-hmm. always insisted that it's Burry. And the two of us spent so much time together that, and this is someone I really admire and am close to, and I picked up that pronunciation and I've done a complete 180 on it. <gasps> just, just, yes. <laughs> I'm thrilled. I am so <laughs> glad naturally. that you brought this up. So that is one of the pockets where the old pronunciation is retained. Is that right, so, Baltimore? Well, Baltimore? N- uh, not always Baltimore, but part of Maryland, New Jersey, and eastern Pennsylvania. Oh. So these are all geographically contiguous. You know, mm-hmm. it could be like Martha. You could have had a teacher or somebody that you respected who influenced you or just somebody who's you just liked the way it sounded coming out of their mouth or it just mm-hmm. made a lot of sense to pronounce right. it that way. <laughs> it really does. Well, you know, I was horrified when I was reading the Harry Potter books to find out that I had been pronouncing Hermione wrong until book four. When oh, it's so <laughs> common. J.K. Rowling spelled it out for us. It's I'm so like, common. what? Well, if you listen to the books on tape and Jim Dale reading, he says Rubeus Hagrid. And a lot of people are like, it's not Rubeus? What? What? (laughs) Oh, no, you've totally ruined that for me now. (laughs) Stacey, this has been an eventful call for you. Thank you, Stacey. Call us again sometime. You're a lot of fun. Thanks. (laughs) Take care. Bye. 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 
There's so much more to say about this. But the Middle English thing is really cool. So it, it wasn't the Super only word that happened to where you get all these spellings and all these pronunciations, and it's kind of a mix and match. It's kind of like finding socks in the dark, <laughs> you know? <laughs> exactly. And you leave the house, and you're like, I guess this is the spelling and pronunciation <laughs> of, of of the word meaning to put something in the ground that we're going with. <laughs> you know, the, the stripes and those yep. colors, that's, what, that's what's happening. This is the way it's going to be. Well, we'd love to hear your stories about language, so call us, 877-929-9673. Hello, you have a way with words. Hello, this is Mark Newcup from Newport News, Virginia. Well, hello, Mark. Welcome to the show. Hi, Mark. What's up? Hi. I'm calling about something that I learned from my mom, but when I use it around work, my coworkers get confused, so I was hoping that um, y'all could provide some insight. We all can. We'll try. <laughs> um, the, the phrase is, um, one that my mother would use when she was in particular uh, talking to us kids, my siblings, um, if we had finished our homework, um, she wanted to know, how much do you like in the sense of how much more do you have to go before you've finished your homework? Mm-hmm. And um, over the years, I've used it and never really noticed you know, people giving me funny looks. But as I used it with my coworkers on a more frequent basis, they, they commented on it. And I said, you know, I didn't actually know. Uh, where that came from. I asked my mother about it, and she said that was just something that, you know, they said where she was from. And where is she from? Uh, She's from a a small farming community called Fancy Farm in western Kentucky. Oh, love it. Fancy Farm, where the big uh, picnic is every year, right? Exactly. That uh, large picnic also is a family reunion for her side of the family. How interesting. Mark, did you know I grew up in Kentucky? I did not know that. I did, and you're taking me back to fourth grade. My teacher, Lutitia Sinton, who seemed so tall to me at the time. I guess she wasn't, but she seemed so tall, and she had this flaming red hair down to her shoulders. And I remember writing a book report, and I was taking a long time, which anybody who has ever edited me knows that that I take a long time to write. And she asked me, if uh, I had finished it, and I said, no, I haven't finished my book report. And she said, how much do you like? And I thought, well, I kind of liked the book, but (laughs) I was completely confused. (laughs) But it's the same thing. Like, in that case, is simply another pronunciation of the word lack. How much do you lack? How much more do you have to go? L-A-C-K, lack. L-A-C-K, but it's pronounced in the South and South Midlands often as like. Oh, yeah. So it's throughout the South, right? Yeah. Texas all the way up through, right? Yeah. So you might say uh, it... It liked two minutes to ten. It was it was two minutes before ten o'clock. And and people will spell it L I K E, but what they mean is lack. That is really neat, and I definitely never heard uh, that as even a possible origin. Would that be something that shows up in say Southern literature? Is that something I can be looking for? William Faulkner. Oh, excellent. Yeah. So you're you're keeping good company on that one. Mm-hmm. Although I've got to say, in the workplace, if folks aren't getting it, you might want to switch it up and just say lack instead of like. I think I may do that and see what happens. <laughs> Although they're still likely to give you the side eye. Well, yeah. <laughs> Mark, thank you so much for calling. We appreciate it. And give us another thank call sometime, so all right? I, I will. Thank you very much. Take I care. appreciate it. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. Call us with your language question, 877-929-9673. Or if you have a story to tell us, email it to us, words at waywardradio.org.
We got an email from Marianne Jones in Grants Pass, Oregon, who says that uh, she lived in Sitka, Alaska for 12 years. And when she first moved there from Texas, she heard people using an unfamiliar word, and that word was skookum. Oh, nice. S-K-O-O-K-U-M. Do you know this word, Grant? I do know it, but only because there's a very weird subreddit that I come across. Yes. No. What? Very skookum subreddit? A very odd... (laughs) It's it's do. just people post the oddest stuff there. I can't quite make out what it is. I come across it when I'm browsing just the whole all subreddits, everything. She says it's usually used to describe someone or something who's strong or muscular, like that Malamute is really skookum. Oh, nice. And it's a term that's chiefly heard in the Pacific Northwest and Alaska. And it comes from Chinook jargon, that mix of Chinook and Nootka and English and French and other languages. Uh, Originally, it meant a ghost or demon or spirit. But it also became an adjective that meant strong or good or powerful, like you have a skookum drink. Call us with your language question, 877-929-9673. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett, and we're joined by our quiz guide, John Chinesky. Hi, John. Hi, Grant. Hi, Martha. Hello. Any uh, word fan worth their salt, probably when they were growing up, one of the first things they began to wonder about was why we say o'clock, as in 10 o'clock, right? And they probably looked that up, and you find out that o'clock is short for of the clock, because obviously, who has the time to say of the anymore? <laughs> we're, this is a go, go, go world. So why should we stop with of the clock? What would other common phrases sound like if we shortened of the to o all of the time or all o time? For example, what would the common phrase be for a priest or a reverend, a phrase that references their garb? Mano cloth. Mano cloth. Yes, very good. Now I'll, I'll clue you into some more, okay. some more o contractions. Anybody, you guys, you are free to use these anywhere, anywhere you go. Here we go. It's been a popular brand of underwear for many years, but we still call it by four words instead of two with a contraction. Fruit o loom. Very nice. Fruit o loom. Now, it was the linchpin of the first Indiana Jones movie, a box that supposedly at one time contained God's contract with his people. <laughs> Ark o Covenant. Ark o Covenant, yes. <laughs> Sounds like Malt O'Meal. The Ark <laughs> o Covenant, yeah. It's when you default to the belief that someone's intentions are honest, even when you can't be sure. Benefit o doubt. Benefit o doubt is right, yes. It describes a gathering of very intelligent individuals, though it's often used facetiously. Not meeting o minds. <laughs> it is meeting, meeting o minds, yeah. There's a real meeting o minds there, yeah. 
Now, we're right in the middle of the quiz right now, and this is supposed to be when things quiet down a little, like in a hurricane. What's that called? I.O. Storm. <laughs> I.O. Storm is right. Uh, this was a series of conflicts over the throne of England between the houses of Plantagenet and Lancaster. War of Roses. <laughs> War of Roses, right. Now, he's the guy wearing the lampshade on his head or the woman telling the outrageous anecdote. Life, Life of party. party. Life of party. <laughs> now, his real name is John Clayton II, the Earl of Greystoke, and he's the title character of what novel by Edgar Rice Burroughs? The <laughs> uh, Tarzano Apes. <laughs> Tarzano apes, that's right. Now, there's a common belief that a hangover can be cured by a little more drink. Now, I don't know if that works, but I do know what it's colloquially referred to as. Hair of the dog. Hair of dog. Hair of dog it is. Now, finally, the quiz is over and we've come to the last question, just like when your train pulls into the last station and the conductor tells everyone to get out. <laughs> Endo line. Stand clear of the closing End-o-line. doors. Endo line. <laughs> And clear of the closing doors, please. Yes, it is the end o line for me. So this has been wonderful. Thanks, guys. Thanks, John. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs> well, we'd love to talk with you about any aspect of language whatsoever. Wordplay, word origins, slang, a dispute you have at work about workplace jargon. Give us a call, 877-929-9673, or send us an email. That address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hello, is this uh, Grant? It is. Who am I talking to? Hi, this is Jeff Kaiser uh, calling from San Diego. I was calling um, because I, um, as I'm getting towards closer to retirement age, I'm a 56 now, but um, I had a raise a few eyebrows when I mentioned that I might be interested in uh, researching how to do some fictional writing with the end goal of being, uh, you know, doing some novel or something along those lines. And I'm kind of at the stage where. Uh, I'm looking at it like eating an elephant. It's just <laughs> so daunting to yeah. try to get started. Mm-hmm. How do I, I? I know it's a one bite at a time type of thing, but mm-hmm. I am so out of touch from a grammar standpoint, sentence structure, um, proper syntax, uh, you know, writing in the person in a certain person, um, you know, narrative, um, illustrative. I just have no idea where to start, and I figured I would ask my favorite worders. How to start writing fiction? Yeah, how to start doing something uh, 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 creative writing, I guess it would be. I'm, I'm a little leery about, you know, uh, learning annex kind of creating writing class. But if that's the way to go, that's the way to go. Hmm. I just why, are like you, there's... why are you leery about a creative writing class? It, it just seems to be kind of... Uh, self-serving kind of yes uh, I, I look and. at it like a, a continuing education class for to teach people how to paint and it's uh, I feel it's fairly rudimentary Jeff and, Jeff um, Jeff 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 hold on a second there I want to I want to back you up a second here I think you're doing a disservice to what are some really fantastic programs oh great really for example at the San Diego Community Colleges and the continuing education programs here in Southern California, you will find some phenomenal programs, some fantastic teachers. There is some hidden talent teaching classes for very reasonable rates here. There's some really accomplished writers who are going unnoticed because um, they are working their tails off teaching classes and then writing on their own time elsewhere, putting out really good work. Um, you're going to get some really good stuff happening here. 
Um, there are organizations like San Diego Writers, Inc., not just here in San Diego, but in every city across this country of any real size, you're going to find writers organizations who have classes, mentorships, writers groups. Um, these are all good for you. These are exactly what you want. That is exactly how to begin eating the elephant. Oh, fantastic. I, I can't tell you how pleased I am to be uh, proven uh to be thinking in the wrong direction. And part of it has to do with what do you have the urgency to say? Um, Tony Morrison has talked about how, you know, there just comes a point where you have something and you've got to say it. And she's talked about how she never had nine days to write. You know, she never had a whole week off to just write. She had to write around her life and raising two boys and getting up early uh, or working on weekends. And it was because she had something that she really wanted to say. And if you have something you really want to say, uh, then you'll find a way to do it. Another thing that I would mention is that if you're wanting to work at home in the privacy of your home, uh, there's a great book by Judy Reeves here in San Diego uh, called The Daily Appointment Calendar for Writers that'll inspire you to write from prompts. It's got a lot of inspiring quotations in it. And uh, I, th- I think the key that Grant and I are both edging toward is just to start. Yeah, I went to the San Diego Book Festival. I appeared on a panel, and I went to a bunch of other panels. And the same things kept occurring in all of these panels, one after the other. And we had some really amazing authors come through San Diego and to talk about their craft and their process and their books and their lives and sort of things. And Martha hit one of the really important ones. First, start. Just start. Don't let anything stop you from starting. Another one is put your butt in the seat. Uh, when writers fail... It's most often because they fail to write. And I didn't invent that phrase, but that's it. And another one is um, writing classes, short circuit, a lot of trial and error. One of the best things I heard from a couple different writers was not just writing classes for fiction, but screenwriting classes, even if you don't want to become a screenwriter, because they teach you plot and narrative arcs. They talk about getting to the point really quickly so that you can keep your readers engaged. And you can use those same lessons for screenwriting in larger volumes that might be more traditional fiction and might be more literary. And I would just also add that um, you mentioned something about uh, grammar or syntax, something like that, and this is not the time no, <laughs> to worry about that. That comes later. Trust us. That's that's what editors are for. And editing can be a great process. Yeah. So so write first and do all the editing later. Don't edit as you go. It's a big trap. Oh, fantastic. That oh, I, blown mind. Just gone. And, you know, we, you know, Martha and I are both sitting here and going like, well, does he want the six-hour version of this? <laughs> Something tells me you do, Jeff. But, oh, my goodness. You have no idea. I would I would actually die and go to heaven six hours talking with you guys about this. But just to kind of recap, here in San Diego, I recommend starting with San Diego Writers, Inc. I do recommend the continuing education programs at any of the colleges and community colleges here. I do recommend the community colleges throughout Southern California and throughout this country. They are fantastic. You get great value for your money at community colleges everywhere. And I do recommend this book that Martha talked about by Judy Reeves. That's R-E-E-V-E-S. What's it called again, Martha? Uh, The Lively Muse, Daily Appointment Calendar for Writers. It's a great way to ease into writing every day. And good luck to you. Send us your first draft when it's ready. Oh, I'll send it before it's ready. How about that? (laughs) And we'll send you a go-get-em tiger, all right?
Thanks, Jeff. Oh, my gosh. Well, just like first responders and police and, <laughs> and uh, doctors, again, I am so thankful for the service that you provide, the great unwashed. All right. Take oh, care shucks. now. And good luck with this. <laughs> remember, right, remember, butt in seat, all right? All right. All right. Polish that chair. <laughs> you betcha. <laughs> bye-bye. All righty. Bye-bye. Thanks a lot. We heard from Ray Hansen, who's a nurse in a cardiac intervention lab in Baltimore, and she says everyone in her unit, from the attending docs to the nurses to the radiation technologists, refers to the esophagus as the goose. And she was wondering, is this just in our unit, or is this a common thing? And she said it's so common where she works in this lab that uh, they have a big sign on the wall that says, Respect the Goose. And it has an image of a Canadian goose, because when you're doing heart surgery, you want to be careful not to damage the esophagus or the goose. And she wondered if it was just unique to them. But no, it's, it's a common term in surgery to talk about the goose as the esophagus, and And some physicians talk about, you know, if you swallow something and and it gets caught in your esophagus, Mm -hmm. it's chicken in the goose. Oh, interesting. That's fantastic. Is it about the shape or? I don't know if it's about the shape or if it's about the esophagus. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe other people can tell us. 877-929-9673. Hello. You have a way with words. Hi. This is Mary from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Welcome, Mary. What's going on? I'm calling because... I grew up here in Tulsa in a Midtown, and four older brothers and I enjoyed riding bikes. We have a big bike culture in our neighborhood, and older kids and younger kids, would uh, we would pump each other. So if you had someone riding on your handlebars or if you turned over your seat and just stood up on the pedals and gave them a ride, we called it pumping. Um, when I went to college, uh, I went to Colorado College in Colorado Springs, and I actually majored in English. And I would ask people, say, you know, after the library closed late at night, I'd say, well, you pump me over to my dorm. And Uh-oh. I got <laughs> the strangest responses. I hardly know you. <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, we could conjugate the verb. I'd say, just give me a, a little pumping, you know, just. It'll only take a minute. This gets better and better, Mary. <laughs> <laughs> and the school is small enough. Usually, you know, about 2,000 people were there. Uh, and I, I knew everybody else from Oklahoma. There were about a handful of us. Uh, two people from Tulsa knew exactly what I was saying. Mm-hmm. And they said, oh, sure, you know, hop on. And then anybody from Oklahoma City, I had a friend from Wewoka, Someone from Broken Arrow, even that was just right on the outskirts of Tulsa. Um, they didn't, they had no idea what pumping was, and so I wondered if it was because the person on the pedals would be pushing so hard, pumping. Right. You know, I think that's right. And did the did the students from Texas know it? I'm guessing that they would. Maybe I didn't have enough friends from Texas. In fact, most of the people I remember asking. We're from Colorado or Connecticut or Tennessee. Mm-hmm. 
like the kids from Oklahoma City didn't use it, so I'm surprised you you heard it used in Texas, huh? Yeah, well, I looked through our phone records because we save everything that we get from listeners and all of our email, and we've had so many questions about this over the years. Some people from oh, people from Denton, Texas. We've had Sacramento and New Mexico people mentioning it. It appears does appear in parts of California, Central Valley, I believe. I think it's related to the migration back and forth during mm. the Dust Bowl period. Oh, um, sure, from Oklahoma to California. That's right. Yeah. And But other than that, those patches are the only places that I have any reports of people saying pumping. The Dictionary of American Regional English mm-hmm. has it, and, but yeah. there they just have Texas and California as the only places that have reported it. But I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if it, there are Coloradans who use it and, and Arizona and New Mexico and, and other neighboring states to Texas and Oklahoma. It's sure. Oh, I, I love the idea of that being part of the sort of grapes of wrath past. So in Texas, <laughs> it might be the Texas panhandle yeah. mostly. But I think you're but. absolutely right. I think it's about those legs pumping up and down like mm. the, uh, an oil derrick. I really do. It's just you're working so hard for the, to push that extra weight around. Okay, well, for clearing that up for me, and I, I didn't know it was anywhere outside of Oklahoma, so I'll look. And I, what was the dictionary again? Oh, it's the Dictionary of American Regional English. Most university libraries will have it. Okay, great. I'd love to look into it. All Thanks right. again. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. If you got another term for giving someone a ride on your bike so you're riding double or even triple, let us know, 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org or ask us on Twitter at W-A-Y. W-O-R-D. Hello, welcome to Away With Words. Hi, I'm Sister Patricia Marie, and I'm calling from San Antonio, Texas. Well, hello, and welcome to the show. Growing up, my mom would say a few things that I always would ask her about, and she would say this one thing. It was a gentle way of speaking about people who were inebriated. She would say there were three sheets to the wind. And I remember once asking her about that, and she says, oh, it's just three sheets blowing. And I'm like, why three sheets? Why sheets? So I was hoping maybe you can enlighten me some on this. I've been spending a lot more time out on San Diego Bay here uh, in sailboats, and I got corrected very quickly when I referred to uh, the ropes on there as ropes. Lines on a sailboat are actually referred to as sheets. Wow. And uh, the corner of a sail in in Old English, the word is sheata, and that gives us the word sheet. And so if you're talking about uh, the sheets coming loose on a sailboat, then um, and you have three of them it's going to be flapping around and you're going to have a hard time controlling that boat as sort of like somebody who's inebriated kind of stumbling around so your boat is flopping from side to side because you're you're you've got no control over direction and speed and that sort of stuff yeah gosh i never would have thought about the wind sails on a boat i'd always thought about clotheslines yep yep (laughs) that was what i pictured (laughs) well there you go sister patricia marie what do you think well i think it's pretty awesome um I learned to do sailing with my dad, and I, that's something that I don't ever remember learning that much, so that just makes it more endearing. Aww. Uh, I'm thinking about the sails on a boat uh-huh. and the ropes, the ropes and stuff. Yeah, or lines or sheets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I love the idea that, that this is kind of a linguistic heirloom for you. It, it, it conjures memories. It does. My father has passed away, and my mom, sure, her mind's not too with us anymore, so you can't really have conversations with her, so it really does endear it more for me. Oh, that's wonderful. We're glad to help. Thank you so much for sharing with us, and thanks for calling. You're welcome. I really enjoy your show. (laughs) Take care now. Thanks so much. All right. Bye-bye.
So, Grant, just to clarify, on a sailboat, they're not ropes. They're called lines. And there's more than one kind of line, like they're halyards and things like that. But the lines connected to the corner of the sail are called sheets. And you sure don't want sheets flapping around. Boy, I got a lot to learn. Call us with your language question, 877-929-9673. I was always puzzled by the French word for now. It never made sense to me. No? Mm-hmm. Why? It just seemed like an odd word it for now. It looks like main tenant, right? Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. And I had this light bulb moment this week when I realized that it actually goes back to the Latin manu tenendo, which means holding something in one's hand. Oh. And so if you're talking about now, it's it's this moment that you're holding in one's in your hand. Oh, in the palm of your hand. You're holding time here in the palm of your hand. Yeah, kind in of. In the grip it's... of your little <laughs> mitten. Yeah, kind of. It, it's, okay. it suggests the idea of, of immediacy. Yeah. Well, interesting that you said far because it suggests the idea of immediacy, you know, something you've got right there in your hand and proximity, mm-hmm. and then it sort of morphed into the idea of now. Just now. But yeah, okay. but it's related to the English word maintain. But maintenant comes from French words that mean while one is holding something in one's hand. Call us with your language discovery, 877 929 You're listening to Away With Words, this show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. A while back, we got a call from Dennis in New Smyrna Beach, Florida, who was asking about a word that he couldn't remember. And it was a word for the interval between the end of something, like an event or a person's life, and the death of the last person who has a meaningful memory of it. And Grant, we had some interesting discussion about it, but we didn't really give him a good answer. No, we danced around it, came up with some stuff, but didn't quite zero in on it. Mm -hmm. However, I think we can answer that question now, thanks to Anthony Taubman, who listens to us in Geneva, Switzerland. He wrote us with an answer that I think is the right one, and it also sent me down this really cool etymological path that I think you'll enjoy. Anthony says the word that this caller is looking for is the Latin word saeculum, S-A-E-C-U-L-U-M, which in English is pronounced seculum. It's traditionally understood to refer to the period from an event occurring to the death of the last person alive at the time of that event. And the earliest record that we have of this kind of thing is with the ancient Etruscans, and the Romans later picked it up. But the ancient Etruscans would make a sacrifice to the gods at the beginning of what they considered a seculum. And this offering to the gods was made on behalf of everybody at that time. And when all those people died, supposedly, in their tradition, the gods sent a sign that the cycle was over, and a new sacrifice had to be offered. So a seculum is a length of time that embraces even the longest life. Now, you're probably thinking, hmm, that sounds a lot like an English word, seculum and secular. Mm -hmm. And these are related. Secular in English, meaning worldly, uh, comes from the Latin secularis, which means pertaining to a generation or age, and otherwise worldly as opposed to the eternal uh, notion of uh, the church. 
um, this word secular in English also means existing or continuing through the ages or centuries. I didn't realize until I started digging on this that economists will talk about secular inflation, and that's inflation over a very long period of time. Or scientists will talk about secular oak trees, which are oak trees that exist for 100 years or so. And that sent me to a wonderful poem by Ralph Waldo Emerson called The Garden. It goes, Many things the garden shows, and pleased I stray from tree to tree, watching the white pear bloom be infested quince or plum. I could walk days, years away, till the slow-ripening secular tree had reached its fruiting time, nor think it long. And so that was just such a thrilling way to end up. Right. So you start with an answer to a question, and you end up with a lovely poem. Yes, we, we learn so much from our listeners. <laughs> we do indeed, and it's nice to get that answer. So seculum is mm -hmm. the answer to the question. The interval of time between an event or the end of someone's life and the death of the last person who has a meaningful memory of it. Meaningful memory of it, gotcha. If you've got more to add to the answers that we give on the show, we welcome that. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org or tell us on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. Hi there. You have a way with words. Hi. My name is Ashley Daigle, and I'm calling in from Hoffman Estates, Illinois. It's one of the northwest suburbs of Chicago. Okay. Well, welcome to the show. What can we do for yeah. you, Ashley? Well, my accent and geography may belie my origins. I'm originally born and raised in a place called Thibodeau, Louisiana. Oh, yeah. So there are lots of Cajun words that we use down south in Louisiana. Some I've used my whole life that I kind of already knew they were Cajun. Mm -hmm. So my family doesn't really speak French, but these things kind of get peppered in. So, you know, I'm used to saying Shababay, so poor baby, if somebody's not feeling well. Or we say, how's your mom and them, to ask, how are, is your family? How nice. are your mother and them? Um, or lanyap, which means a little bit something extra that's good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, we use that around here. We learned that from one of our, well, we picked yeah. it up from one of our listeners years ago. And so in-house in the radio, our little radio team, we use lanyap. Yeah, oh. we sure yes. do. That is excellent. <laughs> I do what I can to spread it around, so I'm glad to hear it's other places. That's exciting. So I knew that those words, you know, were Cajun, but only a couple years ago, I was walking around my house and I bumped my knee into something and I said, ah, I pelayed my knee. And my husband, who's from Illinois, said, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, and I didn't know that pelayed, um, you know, isn't just a, a, a real word, I guess, or a common <laughs> word. And so I'm presuming it's something, you know, Cajun, and so I asked my dad, like, hey, what does pelade mean, and where is it from? And he's like, well, it means you bump into something. I was like, right, but, like, why? <laughs> and I couldn't figure out a spelling. I, I don't speak French, so I couldn't find anything trying to, to do some research on my own. So I'm interested in that word specifically. You know, what's it about? First of all, I love this, and you're fantastic, and I love everything that, <laughs> I love everything that you're teaching us right now. This is one of the things we enjoy about this show because you're teaching us stuff outside of our experience. The mm -hmm. other thing is... I speak a little bit of French, but not this French. And so I love mm -hmm. adding on the different dialects of French to what I already know about mainstream kind of French, Frenchy French from Europe. So cool. 
Pile in French means to grind, P-I-L-E-R. And so you might grind, say, uh, garlic, or you might grind nuts oh, or something okay. like that. And so you kind of ground your toe against a piece of furniture, right? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I want to refer you to a dictionary, which you are going to love, and you can give okay. as a gift to your spouse, and he will understand you better. And it is called the Dictionary of Louisiana French. It's edited by a folks with the last name of Valdman, V-A-L-D-M-A-N, and Rotet, R-O-T-T-E-T. But anyway, look up Dictionary of Louisiana French. And it has a whole big entry on this verb and all the different ways that in the different parishes of Louisiana this verb is used in French, including meaning to step on someone's foot or to crush pecans or to trample down like the mud in a parking lot or to beat someone up. So all oh, these wow. different varieties, all of these kind of connected to grind or to pound, right? But yeah. not quite, or to beat or to beat up. So anyway, it literally has one here, pile sur le pied de quelqu'un, to, to step on someone's foot, which I think is very close to what you're talking about. Oh, it's real. That's so exciting. Yeah, right? And then, and they indexed them according to the parish that they picked them up in, where they found them when they were doing their field work. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, that's really great. Yeah, Thank right? Thank that resource. Yeah, so I think you're going to love this book. I think it's going to have a ton of answers to you. It's going to make you have a perfect marriage. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> and that's such a super cool word. I mean, it almost substitutes for a curse word. Right. You know, oh, I peed my name. <laughs> well, I like Absolutely. How, I like how easily that could be borrowed into English without even a second thought. Well, right. yeah, I mean, I've used it my whole life, and it didn't even occur to me that it was something outside of, you know, normal, everyday English. Yeah, yeah like, like voila is kind of on the edge of being borrowed into English without thinking about it. You can see in all the spellings where people don't know that it's French and they spell it English ways. Mm-hmm. But we still, it still has a foreignness about it, but Pile, that doesn't really have a lot of foreignness about it. Definitely, definitely. Well, cool. Ashley, you know, I got to tell you, I have instructions for you, which is to call us again with this <laughs> stuff because I want more of it from an insider, and you are that. Absolutely, will do. All right, and let us let us know if this improves your marriage, Jenny. All right, definitely. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye, Ashley. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Have you moved across the country and used a word and people looked at you like you had two heads? Call us about that or any other aspect of language. 877-929-9673 or send that whole story to us in email. That address is words at waywardradio.org. Fred DeRosa from Ottawa, Canada, sent us another linguistic false friend. The French word for enamel looks just like the English word for email, only it has an accent on the E. Right. It's got the acute accent on the E, right? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, That's one of the reasons why they didn't really borrow email Mm -hmm. to refer to digital mail because of that confusion. And they use courriel or le mail or (laughs) other things instead. Beware the linguistic (laughs) false friends. 877-929-9673. Hello there. You have a way with words. Hi, this is John from Orlando. How are you? Hi, John. Doing well. What's going on in Orlando? Well, I was uh, enjoying a wonderful flight on the uh, second longest uh, uh, flight in the world back in 1996. We were leaving Miami for Cape Town, South Africa. And uh, it was a very exciting time for uh, my wife and I to uh, go visit some friends who were in the State Department. So we're on our way to uh, go to Cape Town and by the time we landed out in, in the international airport, we had this you know wonderful arrival into 
um, the southern tip of, uh, you know, the continent of Africa. So we land out, uh, we get out of the airplane, we walk into the terminal building, and now we have to exchange um, uh, money, U.S. money, for uh, Krugerrands. And, and um, you know, we go up to, just like in any airport, we walk up to the booth, and the uh, gentleman was uh, waiting on an, uh, a person in front of us. When he completed that transaction, uh, we, we sort of step up like you would expect in a, in a queue. And uh, he says, I'll be with you now. Put his head down and started counting some money and, you know, sort of doing his busy work behind the, behind the glass, you know, with mm-hmm. a little hole in it like at a bank teller. And uh, my wife and I looked at each other, kind of did a double take, and then we took the social cue that he actually meant just wait a minute. And so that was just an odd uh, interaction, one of our very first um, uh, moments in, in another country where they had this colloquial saying, I'll be with you now. So I didn't know the roots of it. And the, the follow-on as we went and finally met with our friends, and they said not only is that uh, a saying that just means uh, uh, wait just a minute, but if they tell you I'll be with you now now, that's actually like a, um, a slight that they, they will just take their sweet time getting back to you with whatever it is that you're asking or, you know, inquiring about. So I didn't know the origins of I'll be with you now. Yeah, it's pretty complicated, and it's shared with some of the other English-speaking countries, just not with North America. We had an email from a listener named David Cannon, who is South African, a number of years ago, who had this great email, and I wanted to share some of this, uh, that he says, he was talking about, now is a definite commitment to get it done as soon as they're finished with what they're currently busy with, which sounds like what you're talking about. The difference between right now and just now is also something that they honor, and we maybe don't quite really see the difference here in North America. Right now is this moment, and just now is soon, but not at this very moment. Um, And then now now is definitely urgent. Now now comes actually not from English, but from Afrikaans. So it's uh, nunu in that language. It just means now now. It's the typical reduplication where you take a word and for emphasis, you say it twice. And it maybe means a more specific case of the word, a more specific instance of the word. But you were saying that now, now, in that case, meant the opposite? Opposite. Yeah, that's what it seemed to us. uh, Oh, really? You know, explaining it to our friends. Um, So, you know, I actually sort of uh, queued it up with um, something like in the South where they say, well, bless your heart. (laughs) (laughs) Or I'll be with you presently. I'll be with you now, now. It's kind of like... uh, silly person, you know, I'll, hmm. I'll take my sweet time. I don't know. It was just sort of the, the context of the moment it really is decisive in terms of how it, the meaning gets. Yeah. Because um, it, it doesn't really conform to what I learned from people who've lived in South Africa or the South African dictionaries are all very clear, at least as far as they're concerned, that now, now means absolutely now. Um, uh, it means uh, right, right away. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, yeah. So, it was so fun, and then uh, the the years since we've just enjoyed um, adding that into our lexicon. Mm-hmm. And people who listen to my wife and I interact sometimes will say, "We'll say that to each other," you know, sort of jokingly, um, like, "Hey, I'm a little busy, and I'll be with you now." <laughs> you know, it's, so we've borrowed it and and have a lot of fun with it. John, this is wonderful. Thank you so much for calling. All right, take care. Great. Bye. Have a good day. You bye. Too. All righty. Bye. Bye. In Caribbean English, they say now for now. So this would be Belize and Jamaica and a few other places. And it's basically the same as right now. It means right away. But now for now. 
Oh, they say the phrase now yeah, for now. Now for now as a, oh. as a, as a pat set expression. Oh, yeah. and that means right away? Right away, yeah. I'm going to do this now for now? Now for now, yeah. Huh. Interesting, right? Oh, yeah. Give us a call, 877-929-9673, or send your questions and stories about language to words at waywardradio.org. Hello. Welcome to Away With Words. Hi. This is Cindy calling from North Central Wisconsin. Cindy, what's on your mind? So I'm calling about the word toolies. 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 When I was growing up, uh, my mom would ask us to take things out to the toolies potato peelings, cherry pits, apple peels, uh, peach peelings. She was a big canner and a cooker. And in meal prep or as we were uh, taking our, in our harvest from the garden, um, we would be canning things for the fall, and all of our uh, food waste would end up going out to the toolies. The toolies. And how would you spell that? Um, I, we've, I've never written it down. Uh, we just talked about the Tulies. Uh-huh. I think it might be T-U-L-I-E-S. So uh-huh. just to be clear, the Tulies are what? At, our, at my house where I grew up, it would have been the uh, south corner of our yard um, where the wild um, plum trees grew. And it's where we would throw our um, our food waste. I think now it would be called a compost pile. Sure. Okay. Cindy, I have to ask, did anybody in your family have any contact with the West, say California or the Southwest? Or the Pacific Coast or Alaska? No. Um, German heritage from my grandmother, and my grandmother used the word as well. Did anybody serve in the military in California? Um, no. Hmm. Huh. Well, the reason we're asking is because there is the word Thule, T-U-L-E, uh, which is used largely in California and the Southwest. If you're talking about out in the Thule's, you're talking about out in the wilderness. And mm-hmm. it comes from a word from Mexican Spanish that uh, that means the bulrushes or the, the sticks, you know, the marsh. And so it's like yeah. out in the sticks. It's plants that grow in the sticks. And that's the only thing I can think of, a remote part of your back backyard that is similar to that but maybe it's some other origin I unless, don't know. unless she put your mom picked it up from a movie or a book uh, it's possible yeah, I'm not sure but I you, just know that my grandmother used it oh, she um, did and then my mom used it and um, I'm trying to carry on the Thule tradition with my girls when we look at where this is used I see Canada Western Canada Alaska I see Texas is about as far east as it gets. Oregon, hmm. California, yeah. New Mexico, Arizona, um, throughout California, very California. It just does not make it typically as far east as Wisconsin. Wow. That's very interesting. But anyway, unique. Yeah. But it sounds so much like the toolies that we use out here. It's got to be the same thing. Yeah, it means like the most remote corner of your yard where yeah. you're never going to go yeah. is what, I mean, that's what we understood. So we'd... You know, pick whosoever shoes that were bigger than yours were sitting by the back door and march out there and dump out the potato peelings. That's what we would, <laughs> in the middle of winter, it didn't matter. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, I love that you're passing on the Thule tradition to your kids. Thanks. <laughs> so keep up the good work there. And uh, Thanks I would for be call very curious soon. to know if anybody else farther east than Texas uh, uses this word. Or, yeah, and didn't pick it up in the West. Yeah. Cool. Sandy, thank you for calling. Thank you very much. We love your show. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Take care. Well, whether you're here in California or out in the Thule somewhere else, give us a call, 877-929-9673. 
thanks to senior producer Stephanie Levine, director Colin Tedeschi, editor Tim Felton, and production assistant Tamar Wittenberg. You can send us a message, subscribe to the podcast, get the newsletter, or catch up on hundreds of past episodes at waywardradio.org. Our toll-free line is always open in the U.S. and Canada, 877-929-9673. Or send us your thoughts to words at waywardradio.org. Away With Words is an independent production of Wayward, Inc., a nonprofit supported by listeners and organizations who are changing the way the world talks about language. We're coming to you from the Recording Arts Center at Studio West in San Diego, California. Thanks for listening. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. Until next time, goodbye. Bye. Bye.